So maybe guess, what I'm, it... guess what I'm eating right now. What are you eating? Guess. What are you eating? I, I, is it salt and vinegar chips? No. I ate those this morning. They burned my mouth. We this got morning? A little... Yeah. You see this right. cheese? Oh, you got see this baby? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I, I picked it up at the co-op today. Oh, From I which I might add, I'm currently suspended. What'd you do? I'm on probation. That? Wait, so you're suspended from the co-op and I'm suspended from Clando? We gotta leave yep. New York. And for ready? the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, co-op. If anybody on the co-op board is listening to this. You didn't do you, you didn't do I didn't any, do anything. The reason I'm suspended do- is because I didn't do anything, is because I didn't do a shift. <laughs> oh really? But I will. I'm doing one tomorrow. I just didn't realize I had to do it by like a certain time, you know, some of us pull, like a greenhorn. Some of us pull shifts at the Park Slope Co-op. Mm-hmm. Others of others of us pull shifts at Clando. That's right. And it turns out both activities can get a little dicey. Mm-hmm. And they seemingly go on forever in an endless drift. But I was freaking out because I beat in my car out of the co-op today and the lady goes, you're suspended. She didn't say, hi, welcome. She said, you're suspended. Just was, brash, brusque. How do you say that word? Brusque? A little brusquely. She said, you're suspended. Kurt? Was it and Kurt? She said, but you can still. It was Kurt as well. It was Kurt? Yeah. Um, um, I've heard the co-op. Yeah. Pretty but then there. the entire time I was shopping, I was like having this like paranoid fever dream because I was also just like in a weird mood because I slept too much. Um, you slept too much? Yeah, I slept for 12 hours. I fell asleep at midnight and woke up at noon. I haven't slept in like four days. I know. We're really opposite here. But anyway, I'm, I was, I was try- trying to sh- go about my business shopping, but I started getting paranoid. Everyone around me knew about what I'd done, that I was suspended, and they were all judging me. And kind of hissing at me behind my back. And so I got out of there pretty quick. Although I did grab some port salut. You beat a retreat? I beat a retreat out of there. Stole retreat out, out of there. there? Yeah. I was trying to find some port salut in the West Side Market yesterday. Because the boys and I, um, we, 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 we cooked a puttanesca. What? Yeah. You made a puttanesca I, without me? Without the OG puta? Uh, well, it was a tribute Myself? to the, all the putas in our lives. But... um. Okay. That's good. It was very, it, it was well done. Odav o, o took control. Um, we showed up with a fucking bevy of ingredients because uh, Ekholm didn't have much in the way of staples and nourishment. But um, yeah, we ate a great. He a doesn't nourish- eat anymore after his experience in Israel. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard he gave up food. Uh, I gave up a lot of things, including my organs. They just they're gone. They've, they've slid into the toilet. That was that was punishment. It really mm-hmm. was old, old testament punishment. Do you want to give the potted version of Israel that you've been telling at parties with more and more flair <laughs> with less and, with less and less vigor? I mm-hmm. you know the problem now is I just can't i've been talking too much so by the time we pod yeah i'm sort of flaccid mm-hmm. but you know as most of our listeners probably know at this point you're flaccid i, I d- 
<laughs> most of our listeners probably know at this point my dick doesn't work uh well we'd have to consult our illustrious listeners. most of our listeners have <laughs> nothing want nothing to do with my penis and keep it that way listeners usually they stop listening once they engage <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I decamped to Israel. I was hoping for a kind of um, cleansing experience. And in a sense, in a manner of speaking, it was a expurgation, a purge, because a friend of the pod, Andrew Echo, and I succumbed to virulent food poisoning. The likely culprit was a shawarma. And that was only one of a litany of contretemps mishaps that we were beset by there. But we were pretty well felled in an Airbnb in a corner of Tel Aviv, a busy intersection for like six days. It was brutal. I mean, I was hoping to get an IDF GF because, you know, mm-hmm. these like um, young women, shall we say, walk around in the, the dark green uniforms and they, uh-huh. and they carry a big gun and they're mm-hmm. i mean it's shocking because you know in america they just bring the guns into the schools right all, all the kids in israel just have them on their hip on the train and, and shit um, that is cool so i was hoping to find it you know i think that's that would have that's what happens in portnoy and you know I've, i i know that, i pointed this out to you i feel like i, I heard like that I read for style and theme and all that good English teacher shit, writerly mm-hmm. shit. But I realized that I've been reading these books. I, I I made a terrible mistake. I've been reading these books as like life manuals, mm-hmm. and it sent me down the wrong path. I've been reading these books as instruction guides. They dying animal, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how I, I'm gonna be old. I'm gonna be like Capesh. No, don't say that. Don't say that. If By I, the way, I only I don't I think only I find this funny, but I keep insistently referring to him as correct as David Koresh. Yeah, I've already heard that joke. I know, but it's I wanted the listeners to hear that it's, joke also. It's dying on the dying yeah. on the vine. Yeah. Try you should try it on our very special guest. I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> She's gonna like it for sure. Sheila. Sheila, take a Sheila take a bow. Sheila Hetty. Um, I thought I was going to be in Margot's studio, but she left the door locked. So, oh no, she's just apologized. She said, I got there three minutes late. So, where are you? Locked her. Wi Fi is not going to be a problem. I'm in my apartment. Okay. But my boyfriend's watching TV and the dog's outside the room, so I think it should be okay. Okay. What type of dog do you have? A Rottweiler. Okay. What type, <laughs> is that what type of dog is that again? Is it's that a like very a big dog. Dogs? Muscly, burly, friendly, sweet, big. What's, he was 140 it? pounds. Wait, 140 pounds? Yeah. A hundred that's an, that's the same American pound. It's not like a Canadian pound. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if these, I know your doctors are not the same thing. So no, that's true. Temperature's not the same. Kilometers yeah. and miles are not the same. It's true. But it's he's totally a legit 140 world. pounds. That's how much that's mm-hmm. literally, and I shouldn't divulge this, but that's how much I weigh. So your dog weighs the same as me. 
That's how much I weigh on a bad day, I would say. Your Rottweiler. What's your day. Rottweiler's name? Feldman. F- Feldman? Yeah. Is he named Feldman. after someone? It sounds a He's little like don't mind me saying. Was also, who was also named Feldman. Um, was, was that Feldman named after? Or is it just <laughs> Feldman's all the way down? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me, I was just reading Motherhood and it reminds me of the thing with the chicken legs in the pot. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. Tie the chicken legs in the pot. That's right. We have to name his grandmother did. Yeah. What's going on with the chicken legs? It was a really good anecdote from Sheila's your like super Jewish cousin. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the chicken legs in the pot? You probably tell it better than I do. Um, the idea is that. Um, sorry, I'm just getting settled. Um, oh, my God. No hurry. There's this yeah, part. There's this part in the book where I talk about how. Oh, yeah, that. Um, I tie or somebody ties the chicken legs together in the pot uh, as part of roasting chicken. And I don't know if it's me or another character that asks, that is asked why she does that. And she asked her mother, why do we tie the chicken legs together? And she said, because that's the way my mother did it. And then she says, why did she ask her grandmother, why did you tie the chicken legs together? And she says, that's the way my mother did it. And they asked the great grandmother, why do you tie the chicken legs together? And she says, that's the only way the chicken would fit in my pot. So it's this idea of you do things for tradition's sake, even though they no longer have any real cause to be done by you. But you think that there is still a cause to do them. But there once was a cause, but there isn't. And that's compared to the idea of having children. Like, there may have once been a reason to have children, but there no longer is. And you do it because your mother did and your mother had children because her mother did and her mother had children because she did. Um, anyway, that's just a little, yeah. How do we get here? Feldman. Feldman. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was Feldman's relationship to the, the Thai chicken legs. Does Feldman enjoy a chicken leg? No relationship. He does enjoy chicken, but it has to be cooked and cut up. Okay. The other, nope. ch- the other Feldman would eat it raw from the floor as a whole chicken. So. Oh my god. Hmm. Feldman would eat it like a whole rotisserie chicken, or wait, raw chicken. Like what kind of chicken was? Not there? a whole rotisserie chicken, just like a chicken breast with bones or unboned. Yeah. He'd break the bones. He'd break the whole thing in his mouth and then just swallow it because they have very strong mm-hmm. mouths. Oh my god, that sounds really formidable. At least it's not a golden doodle. <laughs> Yeah, we're anti-golden doodle on this podcast. Do they have a lot right? of golden doodles in Toronto? Yeah, there's a lot of doodles. It's yeah, a it's a scourge, right? Doodles. I don't I know you scourge. probably don't want to say this like on record, but you can not if you agree. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's more of a scourge where you are. Yeah. The doodles go that far in here. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty bad. They do exist. Yeah. They they merely exist, but we're overrun with them. Are you? It's I thought New York bad. was a place for small dogs. Um, uh, the apartments are, of... are small. That's true. Yeah, maybe like Manhattan is. I think there's no backyards. Yeah, Brooklyn is more doodle, doodle right. heavy. Yeah, Manhattan. Yeah, you do have to have a small dog. Did you move from somewhere else? I did. From As where? did Drew. Yeah, we... um, 
I moved from DC. We're not natives. Okay, yeah, because Christian said on your last podcast that you guys had you now that you're in New York, everything uh-huh. different for you. Or oh God, did you listen to that? I listened to oh, I no. listened to some of it today. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Were you like drunk after the show? Well, uh, no, we were just we were just we were drunk. drunk during the show. Yeah, right, right, you really and did. Christian was clearly also. Everything's different, like inebed. I was with Christian yeah. until six in the morning. <laughs> oh, what were you? Did I record that? Oh well, that no, that was an early. Um, that was an evening show. Oh, it wasn't. A Is that an evening show? It's yeah, that- two in the morning after pizza kind of show. Oh, yeah, I can see how. Yeah, it would seem like that. Actually, it was all acting. None of none of us was drunk. We're just we're just a performance. Yeah, good. Um. Oh, rats! Now my. AirPods are hold on. It's changing something. Okay. Okay, I'm back. The uh a lot has changed since the early days of the show when yeah, we Yeah, what were... did Christian say? I plucked you from the provinces. He, he said it again to me last <laughs> night. He found me in Was the... that a good Christian impression? Said, I'm working on mine. Drew, I plucked you from the provinces. That's a good Christian. You were in you were in nobody before I, I found you. Were nobody. Found I, I, I let him take all the credit for everything I've seemingly yeah. done myself. Men, yeah. random literary men keep adopting Drew as their protege. Yeah. Oh, Are you young yeah. enough to be a protege? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Chris, Christian recently wrote about, I was talking about this last night, that he said something, I, I think he was quoting Christopher Hitchens, that you can be a young man of promise until the age of 35. Oh, nice. Which means that I've got five more promising years. Men have um, a little longer to be of promise, I think. You think so? Yeah. I mean, as Sheila, you kind of intimate this in your book, is men have a longer timeline for everything, I think. Um, yeah, no, maybe that's changing. Maybe they You think that's time. changing? Maybe they, they have no a shorter timeline or a virtually no timeline. Yeah, I don't see any timeline for me. It's sort of just... All over hate- already. A hazy, constant, present tense. Yeah. I don't know if that's gendered or if that's just because I'm deranged. Why so hazy? Um, I just haven't slept in a while. I basically <laughs> haven't. I basically haven't slept since that episode that you listened to. Some of that seems to have inaugurated a a new chapter of derangement and debauchery and the like. But you know, a new chapter begins today because that very play that we were discussing its last its last production or whatever is is this afternoon so but it seems like they keep extending it yeah i think it's they do time, right? i think it's gone on a little it's a little much at this point let's put it, <laughs> let's put it to bed <laughs> let's yeah. put it to bed it had a good run literally you know you had a great run but i can't great keep run. going out with, i can't keep going out with the cast of dime square every fucking night <laughs> so it, it has to end although christian actually said that he wanted to at first he said he wanted to drop in on this very right now oh. but, then he, but then he realized that he had to uh, act at that same time so hmm. it seems as though it's not gonna yes work we know out. his priorities <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's become an artist he's become an artist <laughs> <laughs> sheila i know you yeah. you've written plays you're a playwright have you, you ever like it. acted in a play 
You have? Yeah, I did actor? a lot of experimental theater when I was a teenager. Oh my god, when you were a teen? Mm-hmm. That, How that did you legal? end up in that? Barbie commercials. I really wanted to be an actress. Oh, oh. my god. Wait, I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. So as a teen, you were in experimental theater. Mm-hmm. When I was 15, 16. How do you get involved in that when you're like a youth? There was an ad in the weekly sort of at, you know, one of those will you audition ads for a theater company called DNA Theater. But mm-hmm. it was associated with Buddies and Bad Times Theater, which was just sort of the, was the prominent gay theater in Toronto, Buddies and Bad Times. Mm. I think it started in the 80s. Love and that. so, yeah. And so I was still in high school and everyone else was a grown up. Mm. And um, it was really my first introduction to artists and gay people. <laughs> and oh. At the same time. <laughs> my mother was scandalized that I was with such, I don't know in such a debauched world of, uh, I don't know, just not the world that I'd grown up in, but I love Homosexual thespians. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They're very bad. uh, They're very bad for your 15 year old Uh, girl to be around. I mean, I I was thrown into the arms of a naked man and rolled down his body. What? Um, Yeah. For like at the last, in the final, final minutes of the four hour show. It didn't feel like anything, but my father came to the opening night and saw it. And he insisted that the director put pants on the man. Now was the man a homosexual? No, he was old. Okay. Which I maybe (laughs) there was two of us. There was a girl my age and both of us were thrown into the arms of two separate naked men who were standing beside each other and rolled down their body. And her father or mother were not, in attendance on opening uh-huh. night it was just my man after that who had to have pants on not hers oh my man. and we were blindfolded so no that's i didn't even really see i didn't even see the penis yeah penis oh yeah so it's fine a sh- that's a shame i didn't think yeah. there was anything wrong with it i i can i would let my if i had a kid i would encourage them to do that yeah well he Probably liked the not. play he really loved the show but he just oh really oh yeah Okay, well, that's good. Your dad was encouraging of your early forays into debauch, into debauchery, (laughs) (laughs) into gay debauchery. Why does everybody reveal themselves to be an actor? I feel like everyone's coming out of the closet as an actor or trying to become an actor. It's It's the first thing you think of when you think of because actually when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor and I didn't take part. I didn't do experimental or traditionalist, but why did you stop? um i think i i started to think it was a little gay you know it it was sort of not not for a guy like me i got self-conscious about it but when i was when i was freer uh and maybe you know gay a gayer child (laughs) a gayer child i took part in in theatrical productions but also i mean actually it's less the homosexuality i think and more the the theater kid shtick you know you don't mm. you want to avoid that do they have but i feel like in canada avoid it pardon do they have theater kids in canada or is that just yeah American of course thing? Yeah, okay. no. so you immediately know what like we like it conjures yeah. up the same suite of images when we say theater kid yeah yeah that was those were my friends yeah yeah <laughs> okay nice i bet they were jealous of you for being in this like naked gay experimental play then they're like wow she lives i don't know i think we were too young really a notch above I don't know. I don't, know. I, don't think, I don't think jealousy kicks until later. 
that's definitely not true I babysit a four-year-old and he already experiences jealousy of like the kids in preschool who can like write letters or I don't know run faster he already knows who runs the fastest in preschool right yeah I feel like they get it real young they get jealous maybe not like theater kid levels of jealousy (laughs) but (laughs) I mean artists are very jealous people it's it's an unhealthy culture of envy it's true why is it so uh maybe because it's fucking hard i suppose and i'm not sure so much longing and for so little space as carl that's right yeah limited space limited space a lot of writers said why aren't you doing a podcast about my book um yes actually yes we were scolded pretty severely by by will self uh, a few months ago we didn't say, why aren't you doing a podcast about my book? He was just like, why do you care about Knausgaard? Why am I not as famous as Knausgaard? Why do people care about Knausgaard's books and not my books? Uh, we got similar kind of uh, feedback from Joshua Cohen. Um, yeah. Yeah, we do get a lot of that. Yeah, it's very upsetting. Yeah. But we give, we give, we provide a venue for other writers. I mean, at this point, we can hardly be called a Knausgaard podcast. I don't even know what the fuck this is anymore. I mean, we got Sheila on. Yeah. We have, although, you know, we're trying to get more, we're trying to diversify. We haven't had a lot of uh, women. So yeah. We've only had three or four. <laughs> Drew's been really proactive with our diversity efforts. Is that why I'm on? Because I'm a woman? Um, <laughs> well, we're just trying to get, and you know, actually it was more about Canadian. More about Canadian. Yeah, it was, it was not the woman thing as Canadian. Yeah. It's not about, but we've had a lot of like acerbic, caustic, bitter men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's like bilious, you know, I'm getting ill listening to them bitch and rant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially the British I can't deal with another British guest. How many British guests have you had? Actually, maybe only. Maybe, maybe only Will Self. We had, oh, <laughs> we had Leo. We had Leo. Oh, that's right. That was a good episode. Yeah, that was that was a special episode to me. It's the sleeper hit. Yeah, that's when, I, that's when I really was born as a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He actually he was not a, a ranter. No, that was a fun little tour of his email inbox. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he has a good retention. Yeah, he's a great literary mind. We really, really broed out. You did bro out. Yeah, it was a good day. So, yeah, yeah I, suppose... I was like snoring. We're... <laughs> I was like, we're coming up on the year anniversary of the Leo Robson show. Oh, yeah. And I'm. Um planning a very special event for it. oh yeah also probably the year anniversary of your good friend ben moser sheila um of his episode mm. although i don't know if he's ever gonna go back on the show since he's mad at us for posting pictures of meat on instagram so um, because he's a vegetarian yeah militant he's a, he's a militant he's morrissey levels of militant about vegetarian he's also like morrissey in a lot of other ways <laughs> i think about it but um yeah, he's, I think, well, hopefully we reconcile. But um, Sheila, what's your, like, what's your relation with Knausgaard? Are you also wildly jealous of his success? Um, you know I him. Think, I think it, I know him. Yeah, I've met yeah. him, I've met him a num- uh, on very many occasions. Yeah. Um, 
I think that he's a very gentle person, which is so different from what the books see. I don't know what the impression is. When somebody becomes so famous, you don't think that they could simultaneously be kind of shy and gentle. Mm -hmm. But I like him, but I haven't seen him in years and years now. Mm. He was at, he and my mother, he, my, I brought my mother to Australia for a, for a literary festival. And he was there with his last wife and what's that critic's name? James Wood. And we were all at the table and my mother was just talking about, about cutting open bodies. She's a pathologist. And I just loved all the questions they all had for my mother and my mother who's not a, so we have we have, we have we okay. have we have Kanazgard. This is incredible. Okay, the panel. I, I don't know Kanaz- if you realize you just stepped into like some serious uh, struggle lore here. Oh yeah, she's <laughs> really horny for James Wood. So it was Kanazgard, James Wood, Sheila Hetty, and Sheila Hetty's mom, and and Lin- Linda, and Lin oh, and Linda. Shit. Yeah, and some other people that I mean, it was a long. It was it, there was probably a couple other people there as well. Was but I just remember my mother t- having no idea who anybody at the table was. Incredible. Me, Incredible. <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was a nice memory. It was a nice Yeah. Night. And they all were just asking your mom questions. About being a pathologist. About being a pathologist. None of us have seen inside a human body. Amazing. Mm. You would think that some of the greatest writers of our time would have. Maybe metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's where that's where my thoughts were going but that's funny because we were just at a reading last week where this uh older architecture critic talked about how he saw the tape of the um robert maxwell autopsy and he would describe oh, was watching that, was that, the what? tape of that like 30 years ago there's a lot of pathologists you- lately a lot of actors and pathologists. A lot of actors muck. and pathologists. Oh my god! Wait, but I want to know: Do you have like any more memories from that? Because that's an incredible image. So you guys are all it's such a bad memory. It's just like a snapshot, and then I remember yeah. smoking outside. But I couldn't have because my mother doesn't wouldn't have. I would never have smoked in front of my mother. So was right. that a different night, or was she inside, or I don't know? And then, well, just all those, <laughs> but now, like again, like the breakfast being there. Uh, at the buff breakfast bout oh were you all at like the same hotel yeah yeah i mean that's how it happens right 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 right. oh my god that was a nice trip i remember like looking watching marilyn monroe videos with my mother in bed when we couldn't sleep because we were so jet lagged like just yeah just how beautiful i think we're both so captivated by how beautiful she is and we're just sort of going from one to the next and I don't know other but other Nausgaard anecdotes I don't have a lot because I just don't have a very good memory for anything Mm. but But um, he seemed like a gentle soul yeah shy I mean shy kind of the person that would stand in the corner and not really want to talk I he was in Toronto a few times and I interviewed him in Toronto once on stage and then and then I think I, I saw him at, in Toronto, I guess, a year later, and he had completely changed over the year because he'd had to do so many events and 
had to become such a public person. Mm -hmm. The the year before that I'd met him, or maybe I met him at the Brooklyn book festival and he was very shy. And then when I saw him in Toronto, he was able to like stand in front of a room and like make a speech before every, before the event and thank everybody and just perform this kind of um, host um, mm. completely contrary to his character, the way he had been the year before. And just, I just thought, oh my God, what he's had to do this year to become this completely other person who has to, you know, to, to an actor. hobnob with rich people and make everyone feel good and make everyone feel like they, mm. like they're getting something. They're getting their got money. Some, got some PR training, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. But I, I just assumed it was more adaptation. Right. Yeah. He just... Huh. Yeah, I don't really think of him as someone who adapts to things at all. (laughs) Like in any sense. I mean, everybody adapts, no? He seems singularly resistant. I mean, well, no, the thing about him, the contradiction about him is that he will bitterly complain about any concession he has to make in his life, but he makes it. Um, Yeah, that's somebody who adapts. Yeah, that is somebody who adapts. It's just a cranky adapter, I guess. This is based um, on writing or based on knowing him or based on hearsay? Uh, I wish, based on knowing him. Uh, well, based on his writing. Podcast? Have you invited um, him? We don't really... Or that break the spell of the... Yeah. I don't want to get too close to the sun. We don't want to get you know? too close to him, yeah. Also, we, I feel like it would be kind of torturing him to make him come on this podcast. Um, he doesn't know about it. Oh, he knows about it because people keep bringing it up to him. Uh so he knows about it, but maybe for your last episode, you can have him on our last ever episode. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Well, it's going to be many, many years away. But it's also very funny <laughs> to not have consistently not have him on the show. Yeah, I know. It has um, to be a negative. We have to refuse. Yeah, him. our whole thing is kind of a negative. I don't know if you negative up on that. It's our, a negative project. Yeah, it's about so- what we're not talking about right like for example saying. have we finished have we read all of the books no do we ever intend to no will i ever read all the books? finish book two no no only i've read one and a half books i've only read one and a half of his books are you serious uh, yeah i'm dead serious i read two yeah drew's read two that's ridiculous i've I read know. five <laughs> and well, the angels book well that's why we you know, we ask a lot of our get our illustrious guests that we need their help, or yeah. we just yeah. or we just confuse them and bewilder them. That's more of our want, as is our want to bewilder and confuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we're like once a week, someone on Twitter is like, "Have you guys finished the books yet? You should really read this article." And we're like, "Never talk to us again. We're blocking you. <laughs> we, we hate you." Um, I even had to do this, this exact stick last night. So I was, yeah. I was, somebody asked me, "Have." you read have you how many have you read or are you some sort of expert and i said no man i've only read two you know more than i do you know i want to come yeah. on i want to come on the pod yeah are there any writers who you've read all their books um oh good question yeah although i don't know maybe not very pro- prolific writers like people well, for- who've written at least four books. Have you read any? Like, uh, in any? Yeah. Any writers? I've read a lot of the British writer Henry Green. I, I think I've read almost all his books. I think I've read almost all his books. Um, I've made a pretty good dent in, in 
the Philip Roth corpus, although even there, there's some outliers and books I haven't touched. Hmm. There's also like a lot of books like I've half read, quarter read, hmm. forgotten. Um, I don't know. What about you, Lauren? Now I'm trying to, maybe I'm much lazier than no, I No, I read even less than you do, so... Yeah, you don't um, read much. I don't read much. I, I mean, as I say this, of course, I'm like halfway through like 10 different novels on my bedside table, but I don't finish a lot of books. I graze on a lot of books. Actually, right now, Sheila, I'm reading um, uh, Willful Disregard by Lena Anderson. Because, oh, yeah. Because you of what you wrote about it, which I really love. Um, I love that book. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. I think that I yeah, I'm glad. Do you, it's devastating. You yeah, you're going to finish devastating. it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not hard to I mean, it's getting no. really brutal because I'm like 75 percent of the way through. But like, I feel like I have to see it through. Yeah. yeah. What's, um, what's this book? It's a book for for girls. Oh, for girl girls. books. Yeah. It's a book yeah. for intellectual gals. Oh, I tend um, to avoid those types. Um, well, is that fair, Sheila? Do you think that's true? Um. I, I think it's probably a book I recommended more to my female friends, you know? Yeah. But I don't, but I think you would, I think anybody would like it. I have to, I, and everybody's been in that situation before and she's just such a good writer and she's so smart. Yes. You should read it, Drew. Yeah. Willful Disregard. If you, yeah. what's, if you what's the title? Willful Disregard. Yeah. Okay. When was it written? 2013. Oh, it's recent. I don't. And I don't read. Yeah, it. but it's tra- it's translated from the Swedish. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's a scando. Mm-hmm. It's a scando. Yeah, and well, it's just like this devastating portrait of a of a woman like falling in love and not being loved back. I guess. And she's uh, so unable to see the fact that she's yes. Not yeah. So all it's all about how she reasons out his behavior mm-hmm. it's always in her favor and she just mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing where you think you can convince somebody to love you if you sort of present it in the right way and it's it's a it's a funny book too as i think because that's totally ridiculous you can't make somebody love you yeah and she doesn't pick up on any of the signs and there's something a little bit um yeah but it's weird, like, I actually think it this happens in, in your novels too, Sheila, because there's, like, two strains. One is, like, the limited, like, um, protagonist's, like, view of what's happening, and then there's, like, kind of an omniscient, like, aphoristic narrator who, like, swoops in and be like, but lovers are oh. always this way. Or... Mm-hmm. You know, the fabulistic tone. Yeah. Not fabulistic in this case. No, more just the commentary on the character. It's like from the point of view of the character and then there's the commentary on the character. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and it switches between those like quite jarringly sometimes. Mm -hmm. But... um, Is it in the third person? It's in the third person, yeah. Yeah, it's all in the third person. Now you're interested. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A third person narrative. (laughs) Uh, It's rare. I was... (laughs) <laughs> I was advocating on behalf of the third person last night. I don't remember why. <laughs> after the uh, after after the play with the actors. Yeah, it was ranting to some actors, just some lit mag people, loudly proclaiming that the third person was a necessary move. That you know we'd had enough of the self, enough of the I. Mm-hmm. Even though I- you. But what you risk in the third person, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about, Sheila, is 
Um, also in Lana Anderson, this is just something I, I worry, I worry about and I wonder about in my own writing and in all writing is when you write those kind of aphoristic little things in the third person, it sounds like it's coming from on from high, right? Like it's being issued from Mount Olympus. And for that reason, it sounds like it's true, but how are you sure it's true? Like, I feel like when you adopt that tone, you can make things sound true without them actually being true. So like, how do you call a bullshit detector on yourself? I think if it sounds true, I think if it sounds, if it sounds good, uh-huh. if you like the sentence, that's, yeah. that's good enough. There's no- You think true. that's good enough? Yeah, well, what's, yeah. There's, mm. what's the, who, who would you ask whether it's true? Like who's the authority that would tell you whether or not it was true? Well, yeah, right. There's the problem is there's no ultimate arbiter, right? There's only, but some things are less true than others. And some things like, I feel like I could, as an exercise, just write in a tone that uh, like a completely bullshit, like aphoristic sentence that sounds true. um, Just like by virtue of its tone or its phrasing that is actually like completely empty. Um, And I don't think you or Lena really do this, but um, I feel like it's always a risk and it's something I worry about in my writing, certainly. I mean, Drew just read a short story of mine that the tone is like super controlled um, in, in third person, but it may be, mm-hmm. it may be, um, it's affecting control, control that's not really there. People don't like, want what's secure. true. They want what you think is true. They don't go to a writer for the truth. They go to the writer for what, because they like that writer's sentences and they like that writer's mind. I don't think they're... Hmm judging it against some universal truth. It's more just being drawn to that writer's voice. They're not, Mm. there's no, I don't think that they're saying, well, this is not true. So I don't think anyone reads being like that, that aphoristics. I don't know. I just, I don't. Yeah. Have you read Sarah Mangusa's book, 300 Arguments? No. No. I mean, she's writing aphorisms that I think she wants to say are true. Yeah. I don't think I am doing that. I don't think I feel like your reference is more of like an impish irony there. I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's not always I like feel like it's true. possible if you're a good enough writer, you can deceive yourself. Like, I don't know. I just like Roth. I'm or even in Roth. Like I was just talking with oh. Mason about this and the dying animals. There's this whole passage that's like about love and um is arg is written so forcefully, it sounds right, but I don't mm. think it's kind of hollow and it's a character but it's a character it's not the same it's a character but i don't know i just think you don't think it's possible to deceive yourself in your writing i think i I hope i'm deceiving myself myself. (laughs) what do you mean deceive yourself yeah i i want to deceive everybody it's writing it's fiction artifice what do you mean deceive yourself i don't know she said this yeah what do you mean mean deceive yourself that you're the Uh, admitting admitting the the truth what is it i feel like i've written sentences sentences that i don't believe in hmm. and, and they're, I, from, they're from yeah. your point of view yeah because like for example i could have edited the sentence or thought about it more to make it reflect my views more um but i didn't and because because, like, right, right, because why because, because you like of, the way the sentence sounded or you were just lazy or maybe I was just lazy. I don't know. Or maybe well, I thought I could get away yourself. with it. Sounds like you're not deceived. You know that they're not true. Well, but, and that's the great irony is like, because I'm so hyper aware of this, I probably 
don't have this problem. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's ultimately like something about language possibly, or in the more obsessed with language you are, the more you'll think about this. Um, and Lena talks about like in this book, she's talking about the gap between thoughts and language and how desperately she wants to be able to reconcile that gap or close that gap. Yeah. Um, also, you have to have a motivation for deceiving yourself, I think. So with the Lena Anderson character, Esther, mm-hmm. she's deceiving herself because she wants to believe this man's in love with her when probably deep down she knows that he isn't. But mm-hmm. why would, what motivation would you have for deceiving yourself in your writing, for writing something that you know to be wrong? Well, apart from laziness. Mm. Maybe to just, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to convince myself of something. I don't know. But it's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I never have that feeling like when I read over something I've written, like, oh, you I've never just, have that feeling. I've deceived myself. Huh? Well, because everything you write is like a proposition. Like it's not, it's, it's a, you're trying an idea out or you're trying mm-hmm. something out and you're seeing how, as opposed to this is, I don't think you, I don't think you're writing thinking like this is the final truth of the world. Mm. It's just like an expression of how the character is feeling or how you're feeling in that moment. I don't know. I, I mean, you're not writing f- logic. Like yeah, I well, I come, yeah, I was a philosophy major. So maybe that's what I'm, is bothering yeah, yeah. me. Because I want, problem. yeah, I want to argue from first principles and have everything be uh, un- irreproachable, to be irreproachable. Or but that's not fun. Whatever that word is. That's not fun. It's not fun. It's not, it's fun. not fun to read that. <laughs> I think like a writer who feels uh, like being irreproachable, I don't think would be a writer that you'd want to spend time with. Perhaps not. <laughs> perhaps not. Um, yeah. Irreproachable, wrong, messy. Yeah, I think that's more human. Yeah, yeah, that's the way. Yeah. Deceive yourself, or I don't know, just mm. convince yourself of some other reality. But the aphorist, the aphoristic form seems dangerous. But you like an aphor, you like an aphorism, Sheila. Look like at an epigram. <laughs> Everyone likes a good aphorism. Whomst among us does does not is not fond of a <laughs> of a fine aphorism. Was um, a nice economy to the aphoristic form. You got to get it yeah. just right. But you don't want to, but I also feel sometimes when I come upon that in a book as a reader, I think, well, I'm never going to remember that. Right. So it doesn't feel like that's enough because even if you do come upon a very good aphorism, it's not going to, it, it's not, it's not going to stick with me as much as mm. I find it to be true or interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stick with you? No. And even if I write it down, I'm never going to look at that again or be able to find it. There's no, there's no actual lasting value for me to a good aphorism. Interesting. Yeah. They're sort of fleeting. That's true. Like, are there any aphorisms that you remember that you read in literature that, that I would like to have, maybe Leo Robson (laughs) has them all written. (laughs) (laughs) They're accessible to his. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think anything stuck. Uh, so I can remember, you know, bits and pieces of writing, but aphorisms? Well, also, yeah. I think aphorisms are inherently incomplete because, again, something I think Mason was scolding me about the other day is, like, you have to uh, 
you have to square the circle or you have to, what is it like cut corn? You have to make something fit into a box for, to put it into a neat little aphorism. It's all, to, it's, um, it has yeah. in, a built-in shortcoming and that. But that's his charm. Account for, right. I mean, by nature, that's what it is. And uh, something like Knausgaard's project resists that form because it's so sprawling and because you have all the details of the strollers and the. Yeah. He's certainly um, one of the, the fish toast. Um, yeah. And that is something I like about it, but. Although then again, there are writers that only read aphorisms, it seems. Whole books of aphorisms. Adam Phillips is a bit that way. His books are oh. aphoristic. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that kind of empty, ultimately? I want a little bit of blood in I don't find his empty because they're, yeah. they're so paradoxical and they're always, they're, they're the kind that don't resolve themselves. They, mm. Yeah. The elliptical aphorism. But as a, as a philosophy, again, my philosophy major is like, what? You, you're not going to, there's going to be paradoxes that don't resolve? Like, then what's the point? Like, well, he's doing, he's doing psychoanalysis. Yeah. So that yeah. is the mode. That's, that's all paradoxes. Oh, 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 he's the guy who wrote um, Becoming Freud. Yeah. Yes. That's another book I'm halfway through. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that book, those. it's, that book is, again, it's like, it is frustrating to me, I think, for that reason, is that he doesn't, um, he doesn't argue like a philosopher, like he does no. exactly right, like those paradoxical, and it's just like this constant elliptical, um, like, tension, or not elliptical tension, like, di dialectical tension or something, and it's like fascinating to read uh, in very beautiful and challenging, but I do... I remember starting to get frustrated, like, so what's the fucking bottom line, Adam Phillips? Um, but it's but, like therapy. There is no bottom line. Right. Which is, ultimate, again, like, yeah, that's probably just my problem. Have you read his therapy. book? Have you read his book, Missing Out? No. Would you recommend it? I've, yes. I've only it's read so his... good. It's, it's about, he has this idea that the unlived life, you know, we all have these unlived lives, you mm -hmm. know, like, oh, if you could have been with that man, but you weren't. And, or if you could have lived in that city, but you didn't, or you could have had that career, but you didn't. And he says, we seem to know more about the lives we didn't lead than the lives we're leading. And I love, I think about that all the time. Like you just have it, you know, that, that person you didn't end up in a relationship with that you had feelings for, like, you know, exactly what that relationship would look like, you know, exactly what, you know, what your days would be like, Shit. there's this reality to it that your actual life doesn't have, like in some ways, those unlived lives become more real than the life you're leading. Um, I mean, that whole, that's kind of, that's sort of a whole book as an aphorism in the sense of like, that's yeah. one proposition or that's one statement about life that mm -hmm. sort of unfolds all the way through the book and like turns around and looks, don't you think that's true? Do you have that experience that the your yeah. unlived lives are more real to you than the life you're leading? Oh my God, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So much more vivid, so much more vivid. Yeah, um, why that's why I try to live in my counter lives. Yeah, that's kind of devastating. And well, of course, and that's the whole thing with that Lena Anderson book is her her yeah. relationship with Hugo Rosk is so much more vivid, and she's always going to be haunted by. Maybe because they have a form though. They yeah, have like have shape. Form. Yeah. So you can you know see the lines, and you can you know the fantasy has to have like a a tighter form. You're not in like the endless drift of. Yeah, because you're not no. seeing it from within. Unpatterned also, right? days. You have an Archimedean right. point from which That's to. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I it suppose is. it's more. It's kind of like yeah. writing too, in that sense, right? There's like, yeah. there is a shape. There is a sort of narrative arc. Um, but 
it is sort of painful to think about, but. And there's no feeling of wanting to get out of that life, like that unlived life. You're not wanting to get out of that relationship that you were never in. Oh yeah. Really? Because it's perfect. The way that you're constantly <laughs> wanting to get out of whatever situation you're in, in real life. Yeah. Huh? Oh Jesus. Yeah. That's really, that's kind of devastating. What is it called? Missing out? I think it's called missing out. Yeah. Now I want to get my Adam Phillips out because I remember, yeah, I was reading him a couple months ago and I was like, so taken in by the prose and the style. Um, but I was also really frustrated at the same time. Um, but yeah, it was, he's like no one else really that I've read. Yeah. Well, he has a very interesting way of working too, because he does psychoanalysis with his patients on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And he writes on yeah. Wednesdays. And he oh, says yeah. from his house to the, his office, mm-hmm. he figures out what he's going to write that day. And then he just sits down and writes. And I think like Knausgaard, he mm-hmm. writes in one go without going back and editing. So it's like he, they both write in the stream of consciousness kind of way. They both mm-hmm. write like, or automatic writing, however you want to put it. They don't edit and they don't revise. Yeah, see that to me, that does bother me a little bit because to me that is a little bit of a way of deceiving yourself because the philosophy major in me says, no, this every, this, uh, you know, this has to go from point to point flawlessly. Like you are being a little lazy if you don't go back and edit. And if you just let it come out in a stream, there is more truth to something that's edited. I think well, I want to believe Rachel that. Cusk works that way too. Like she talks about writing as a performance. Yeah. And she lets it build up for years. And then she sort of writes it in one stream with very little editing. Like I think a lot of people do that. And, and for them, I think the point is that it is documenting each, the moment of writing, like in some sense, right, it's right, right, right. an argument. It's like a, the way a performance is live. Right, it has right. its like value from being live um right 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 yes well, yes this comes up yeah. in your book right this is the question are you sad to be living in the first drafts shoddily made rushed exuberant malformed no you're proud to be strong enough to be living here now which i which made me think that yeah i kind of i'm sort of addicted to the first drafts mm-hmm. like once i revise it anything it, it seems to lose a lot of that anarchic liveliness yeah. um although i can see that it does need more form so you know, perhaps a simple laziness, but I like the idea of reading something that is enacting its own kind of, you know, createdness and mess. Me too. I love that. Like Henry Miller feels like that. Right, for sure. And then you just take, you know, there's a lot of shit, but it's part of the the energy. You have to just accept it. You can't, like, you're never going to say, oh, well, there's a lot of bad sentences. You know, it's like, besides the point. Oh my God, yeah. Will Self is like, he's not dead but if he were dead he'd be like rolling in his grave right now like he's definitely one of those people who's like um the right the editing is the writing um and there's a lot of people who believe that i mean play devil's advocate um have you ever read um when you were studying philosophy did you read i am thou the martin blooper book no what is it called i love this book I and thou, it's okay. about the, it's about relation, like my relationship yeah. to God, my relationship to you. He's like, I, you. And so there's, anyways, the point is he wrote this incredible book um, um, in his early twenties. And then when he was, I guess it was probably in his fifties, it was reissued or it was issued um, again, I guess, I don't mean it was reissued or issued again. I mean to say that it was put out at some point. It's probably reissued many times before that, but he was asked to write an introduction in any case. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't been asked to write an introduction before. And so he went back over the manuscript and then I think he had an opportunity to change things. And he writes in his introduction saying, 
there's so much that I wanted to change, you know, because he wrote this when he was in his early 20s. And now he's like a mature, much more mature person. And so there was a lot yeah. that he didn't like about the book. But he said, he said, I could calculate what would be gained by the changes, but I couldn't. But what would be lost it was incalculable. Right. And and it is that like wrongness mm-hmm. and that youthful energy and that and those mistakes, like in some ways you can't measure what's lost by by taking by sanding down the edges but do you, do you sand down a lot of edges and yeah your- yeah i do i edit a yeah, lot do, what's I your editing keep, like yeah well i always keep so if i write something for the first time i always save that version and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I always have like the first time it was written down saved so that as much as i edit i can go back to that first version and see what was lost and I often bring back sentences from the first version into a fo- into a version that I've edited 10 times because you realize you did make mistakes and you edited it too much or you lost some of the verb or like some of the messiness. So mm-hmm. it's like I'm always like editing and then stepping backwards and like unediting or yeah, sort of like bouncing between the two, the original and then the more polished one. Yeah, that's interesting. Kind of best of both worlds. Yeah, Mary Gates got, I interviewed her for The Believer and she said that she was like, always save the first time you write something down because you can, you can dull its sting. And so that was where that's interesting. Yeah. Ooh, should we have her on the show? She would come Mary on. Gates you think she would? If she would, I don't know. I don't know where, she, where she's at. Yeah, I don't know either. She Mary Gateskill, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I, yeah, that thing you're saying about performance brings very true to me. Um, I just don't know if I want my writing to be a performance that feels somehow too vulnerable and yeah, it's ephemeral. Not- ephemeral, maybe? I don't know. Or perform- because performances are by nature ephemeral, but it's also a written document. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, like you, Sheila, you like this book is somewhat sort of built up of fragments in a way. So I want, I mean, it's, it seems easy or it seems like the, those fragments lend themselves to the kind of like ruthless sand, sanding down. Um, you know, they have like a tighter control. Like you have to edit and revise fragments really well, perhaps. Just like rhythmically. Yeah, I mean, I think if with a shorter book, everything becomes right. more, um, you you have less room to mess to make a mess, or you don't want. I don't want a short book to be a. I don't know. Maybe you just have more time. Like you can go over a two hundred right. page book fifty times. You can't go over a thousand page book fifty times as an editor, as a writer editing it. That's a good point. You know, <laughs> seven seven there are books practical considerations yeah. shape blather on for how many struggle books are there i've lost track six, six baby oh another seven no no they keep changing it they keep changing it <laughs> yeah for a while i had there were only two because i'd only read two <laughs> yeah. and after we started the pod people came up and, and told me that actually there's <laughs> more than i have three <laughs> And you know they all have different titles. Like I'm, I'm, I'm bewildered. I'm lost. I don't know anymore what's going on with these books. Um, Do you think anyone's written like unauthorized extra my struggles? 
like like fanfic you like fanfic i think this podcast could sort of count as like the yeah, yeah. i think so I'll, it all be kind of is becoming that yeah maybe we'll do some sheila hetty uh fanfic yeah we, we'll get we'll solicit some yeah <laughs> let's just start adding on random authors canon how should a person be two or more being up with a better title than that i think no that's uh, a great title i don't think they just put two i think they have to come up with a new yeah title. you're right how should a person be colon um back in business colon dance harder than it looks yeah yeah titles can't call everything my struggle no i can't well or can you (laughs) but he stole that he stole that one no he reappropriated it Mm. do you think do you think sheila do you think knauskart was ripping off hitler with that title yeah, I mean, if you if any of us had read <laughs> six, we would say that without a doubt. Oh God, I keep hearing about it. I can't wait to get there. Yeah, it's gonna be beautiful when I get. You know, I keep getting teased. Why don't you just yeah. skip? Why don't you this just go, go straight to six? This coquettish teasing of the Hitler essay, and when it's gonna hit, it's gonna be beautiful. <laughs> in twenty years, when we get to that point. <laughs> in twenty years. <laughs> Just gonna explode. It's like I finally got to the <laughs> I probably I've probably forgotten what these books even are. Oh yeah. It's like what there yeah, no, you had when a podcast. You... Yeah, I mean I, I mean, forget you knows? ever ever had this podcast. I'm already forgetting. You know, it's like somebody's gonna wake me up and say, Yeah, you had a you had a podcast. <laughs> You're in New York. Remember? Christian Lorenzen took you out of the provinces to talk about he doesn't like that people live elsewhere he doesn't like that people live outside of new york i think you find it, think you find it offensive frustrating yeah. bewildering <laughs> to live out there is no elsewhere really yeah i i have a question about christian out in the provinces actually i i believe he is and i won't say which but i believe he is a, a character in pure color he's there's a character based off of him he was possibly. um yeah. He was. He was. I. I had written a lot. He was a character early in an early draft. Yeah. But, but no longer. But yeah, he's sort of. There's still sort of like a shade of him in that Maddie character. I think. Yeah. Whose scrotum um, is described so vividly? I've never oh, even seen him naked, but I could just imagine. Yeah. That's great that you can have a friend whose scrotum you can imagine. <laughs> I can probably. I've never seen Drew's scrotum, but I could probably describe it. uh we'll see you can play a little game try your okay. best <laughs> my nephew was uh born recently and and they circumcised him because we we're jewish but it was a big uh, dilemma but that's all i can think about these days um it's scrotes vision this is a <laughs> well, this is a wait this is a motif <laughs> wait no really? that's the that's the sequel to motherhood is circumcision yeah, well, I think so i think i'm writing <laughs> a whole book about circumcision to circumcise or not yeah what it the baby boys what is the scrotal situation there? It has nothing to do with the scrotum. Oh foreskin. They leave the scrotum intact. Yeah. Oh man, I'm learning so much about anatomy on the pod lately. <laughs> last time our other our last guest told me about procreation. I didn't know. You're not circumcised, was... I take it. What? You're not circumcised? No, of course I am. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> In the 70s. 
everyone was circumcised in the, I know you're, you were not born in the seventies, but it just, basically they would just do it in the hospital, Jewish, right. or Muslim or not. And now I don't think they do that so much. And I know a lot of Jewish people that don't circumcise. Well, I know, but that, I, I you know, I, I disagree with that. I don't like the movement against circumcision. I feel like if it was done unto me, it should be done unto, uh, you know. Well, that's just like the chicken legs in the pot. I'm Jewish, yeah. Right, right. So any son of mine, yes, exactly. should there be any son of mine, should undergo the same treatment or punishment, as it were. That's what you think. And then when you meet the baby and you're holding this little baby, I was, I was like, for sure you have to circumcise. We're Jewish. But then when you meet the baby, you think, why would we do this to this baby? Well, realize, my, my mother did it to me. For the, for the covenant. <laughs> then you have your answer right there for the covenant with God. Yeah. yeah. I got the pinky, the pinky full of wine, you know? Yeah. You had a brisk. Yeah, I had a brisk. Yeah. They, they got me drunk. They brutalized my penis. And basically, that's been my whole story of my life, different iterations. <laughs> um, so it's done wonders for me. But I think also, you know, you don't want to, I mean, there's something. I haven't seen many, uh, admittedly, uncircumcised penises, but you don't want to. Uh, yeah, Sheila, it seems like you have pretty strong feelings on this. unwieldy. Everyone has strong feelings about it. Once you start, once you, yeah, I think that there are what everyone has strong feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got, I mean, smegma. That's the word. That's the word I never want to hear. Smegma. <laughs> That's a really. It's a. Re, it's a real. It's real. Is it? I see. I'm not well acquainted with it. Do, do you engage with a lot of uncircumcised members? No, Sheila? you don't. No. Okay. No. But have you encountered any ever? I have. I have in my time. Yeah. And it seems like it was an unpleasant experience, possibly. I, I think it, I, I, I mean, it was in the, like I said, most people in my generation have been circumcised. So it was definitely mm-hmm. other. Hmm the circumcised penis so mm. maybe it would have not been so traumatic if if, if everyone had to, all all the penises had been <laughs> but they're very they're, they're very different they're very, they're very different. different from each other yeah yeah Damn, it's a whole nother there's a whole nother world of penis experience out there definitely uh, yeah so I this mean, is apparent- something you have to reconcile right because you think future generations should be left alone no, I don't. I don't. Be- oh, you don't. I don't. Okay. I, I, but I, but it's, but it's, it's confusing. Okay. So this is a genuinely like fraught topic. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, no. aesthetically, there's no, there's no, there's no contest, but <laughs> it's aesthetic. <laughs> I mean, does you still are it just, I don't know. I don't know who, how did the idea come up? How did they get the idea? apart from God saying to do this, why would you think oh, to do that? This is like the chicken's legs. Mm-hmm. I literally just said that. There, there must oh, have did you? Yes. There must have been a, well, there was a first. Isaac. I'm on a lag today. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't know. But Isaac was it. circumcised? Isn't Isaac Abraham's? Yeah, yeah. My, boy, my, my boy. I don't was know cut. who the first. I don't know who the first. I don't know my the Bible well enough to say. Who's but Abe I mean, wasn't. Abe didn't get circumcised. Abe I, didn't. I know Moses. I think had to circumcise himself when he oh. was an old man. What? Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. It's when we learn about this, when you're older, 
it's hard. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Late in life, Briss. I know a few. I have a friend that had an adult circumcision. I went with him. And why'd he do it? Because he, why did he do it? He was suffering from uh, infections, I guess, because you can get like, you know, fungal and bacterial infections if you have that. That, yeah. little, that little flap of joy or whatever it is. I don't know if it's a flap. I don't know what to call it. Anyway. Drew, you're licking your mic again. Give it a little space. Well, I'm talking about... <laughs> <laughs> this is for... It's getting a little homoerotic. Um, yeah, yeah. I went to the, the operation with him. We tried to get the doctor to give us the excised um, bit of flesh, but we, did, we didn't. We didn't, we didn't succeed. Um, oh, yeah, I know. But this was... This is an unofficial. This wasn't, you know, ceremonial. It was strictly clinical. Is this a Jewish gentleman who was he getting buried it at excise? Uh, who was this? Was this your cousin? No, no, no. This is who was this? Gentile. What's his first and last name? I don't want. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna out him for this. <laughs> it's not important. But um, we did. We did pretend it was a sort of bris. Um, but I'm just trying to say that if you, if you get it done as an adult, it's it's sort of traumatic and painful. Well, what what's and, his evaluation of? Well, I guess before he was getting infections, so he must be happier now. I oh, I think he's happy. I mean, he was definitely anxious to you know give it a go with, with his new equipment. Um, they say it reduces sensation. I think uh, there's a Sex in the City episode about the just this thing. Now that I think about it. Really. About, yeah, Charlotte's dating a guy who gets a late-in-life circumcision. And then she's like, great, let's stay together. And he's like, no, I want to give it a go with other women, like, to show off my circumcised penis. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. That's a good memory you got there. (laughs) Thank you, yeah. (laughs) I do a pretty good recall for Sex in the City episodes. Um, Sheila, did you ever get into that show? Was that no. big in Canada? I mean, I, I I don't know Canada. I can't speak for all of Canada. Right. What? <laughs> you can't? What? You're the emissary. You're the ambassador. I can't, cannot. Yeah. For circumcision in Canada. Thank you. <laughs> I really do think, yeah, you should definitely write a book about this. It does seem... I'm really, I really am. It's It's captured my imagination. <laughs> At but the very least, know. like a Kindle single, maybe. What, what what do you what's there to write though? There's I mean it's like any moral question, you know. I know. Well, it is a moral question. Yeah. There's a lot of dimensions. There's a there's a lot, there's a lot going on in my head about it. Yeah. I'd okay. like to watch yeah. a bris. I should go see. Maybe do you think you could just... you don't get up close enough, then you know, to sort oh. of see the it's so small what happens. Even if you watch right. it, you're sort of seeing the heads of other relatives, you know, you're sort of like Do the does the child is there cry do they cry? Do they freak yes, out? Of course they cry. Everyone the mother cries, the child cries. See, but that's good. You want that generational pain. You want that. Why? See, that's the big a, question. It's a connection to some kind of primal hurt and it's being made real. I know, but doesn't it, this is, I mean, does it, yeah, well, why do we feel, yeah, I mean. <sighs> if you didn't, if you didn't enter life with that, you know, look what happens. What, 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 what happens? What happens? You're just happier. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, you're, there's fric- there's no friction. There's no, there's no, you know, there's nothing like rubbing up against you. Or maybe there is. I don't know. I don't know because I, I don't, I don't have it. I don't have the, the foreskin. You've made that clear, yeah. Um, you can regrow it. You can regrow it. No, you can't regrow it. Apparently, there are men who try. <laughs> How well are they successful? <laughs> no, you put you put rubber bands. Yeah, there's a whole system. Clothes pins. It's done. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not anxious to try. Trying to make yourself taller by like stretching on a hanging. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if any of that, you know. Well, maybe I'll try and, and report back. You're gonna try to my, grow it. My struggle. <laughs> I got it's one of the one. unauthorized my struggles. But your um, yeah, it's your Kindle single, Drew. Um, I have a question in pure color about this school for critics. This is a dumb oh, question. Oh, I saw is that. that yeah. Is that real? No. Okay. Yeah. That's the. You wrote about it so convincingly. Thing. I was like, this must be a real thing. The American Academy of American Critics. Yeah. Ooh. Because I can I imagine mean, Christian being there. You know. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I. I mean, it, it. I think it's sort of modeled on theater school. I went to the National Theater School. Ah. Uh, okay. But yeah. it, it was not, but that's, uh, yeah. So like, that's a, I think a lot of theater schools might have that feeling. Yeah. And was that also like super elite, the National Theater School of Canada? Yes. Super elite. They had oh, like yeah. 10 actors a year. <gasps> oh my God. Or playwrights. So I was one of the playwrights and two directors. Wow. So you did feel chosen. Oh, absolutely. That's even better yeah. than like being a tribe of Israel. Mm-hmm. It's like umpire yeah oh yeah no i mean forget about the levi's if you get into the national theater school of canada you're yeah. chosen you're chosen baby uh, chosen of the chosen. and you get to move to montreal oh my god oh, amazing shit. amazing city yeah we yeah. love montreal yeah we have a thing about french canada on the show have you ever, why what sort of thing the separatist Just- yeah, we're like yeah. We're, we're free Quebec. We're pro definitely um, free Quebec, Quebec separatism. I don't think <laughs> Quebec is really the phrase. <laughs> it's not <What>? the phrase. <laughs> no, Quebec. Quebec. I don't think they. I don't think free Quebec is. I've never heard free Quebec. We're gonna show up to Montreal stream like free Quebec. <laughs> like who are these fucking buffoons? Speaking for all of Canada, no one's ever heard free Quebec. <laughs> no, never. I might be mixing it up with free Tibet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to the what's going on in Quebec these days? Who knows? Is yeah, what any... is what's the latest? Give us the report. Yeah. Yeah. My brother lives there. He's moving to him and his family are moving to Toronto. What was it that I just saw? Oh yeah, this movie that took place in or a TV show that took place in Quebec or Montreal. Oh, Search Party, and they had oh, which is a great show, and they yeah. had like a bunch of episodes in Montreal or yeah. Quebec. And none of the signs were in French. And one mm. thing, so it was just very, very upsetting that um, they got something so basic so wrong. You can't have English signs in Quebec. No, um, that's true. I think you can have signs in English and French, but you certainly can't have an English sign. That's just against the law. Like, what if you have like a lemonade stand? You can't say lemonade stand. You can't. <laughs> no. You can't just write lemonade stand in English? No. You have to write uh, le lemon pressé. I learned the word for lemonade in French. What was it? Did you learn the word for stand in French? <laughs> <Actually>. No. 
Well, so like little children, like on their sidewalk, if they write. Lemonade. I don't think they have lemonade. They don't have lemonade stands in France. That's just not a culture. The French wouldn't do that. I don't. Maybe the Quebec, the Quebecois would do it. Yeah, Quebecers. Mm-hmm. Was it bilingual? The National Theater School was that like a point? Yeah, of yeah there was a French side and an English side. So the French, they also had you know ten ten actors each year. And oh shit! Okay, wow. Well. That's number of playwrights and directors. It, but it was I was there in the nineties, and that was a real separatist time. It was really oh, wow. there was like, there was a referendum when I was there. There was like men in bayonets spray painted on the sidewalk. It was really intense. The French and the English side did not talk at that time. You could not be friends with somebody on the French side if you were on the English side. They didn't want to make really. They didn't want. I'm sure it's very friendly now, but it was not. Yeah. Friendly. Oh my god. Oh, we you were in like the, the same building. Oh yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That could be like yeah. a real Romeo and Juliet situation. Yeah. yeah. yeah it could have been there. Yeah. yeah. If there was such a thing, it was kept quite secret. Yeah. Wow. You just, it was only 10 people on each side and you just didn't talk to each other. Well, there was three years. So 30, there was probably like 50 people on each side. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would not look at us in the halls. Oh my God. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Well, those were better days. <laughs> were they? <laughs> yeah. Like, you, do you, better days. Bitter. Just, yeah. Bitter, the bitter oh, yeah. and better days. Yeah. Yeah, it was dramatic. I mean, like a feud like that in Canada. That's like the Jets and the Sharks, you know? Mm. You should make a musical about that. Yeah, you can. We might. Maybe yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> we might get started on that. A musical about National Theater School. <laughs> in the 90s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's rocks. Right? around the referendum. Yeah. I would the love actors, that. The actors, the French actors and the English actors. I think that's what the I think that's what the world needs right now. This is gonna be the next Hamilton. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, well, you know, there's a resurgence of theater. There's a resurgence of theater in New York. I've yeah, heard. it'd be the next Dime Square. It'd be the next Dime Square. Oh, we're gonna Don't suggest fucking... this to Gazda. No, we're not. We're not sharing any ideas with that with that cat. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, but I think we might we might blow dimes out of the water with this production. I think so. Did you get to see Christian in the play, Sheila? Have you been down to New York recently? I haven't been since the fall, so I didn't see it. Oh, but I've read a lot of the reviews. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I saw his Twitter feud with the guy that didn't like it. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. I didn't really get too deep into it, though, but it looked very um, rancorous. (laughs) As Twitter feuds are. Yeah. I don't know. I I haven't seen it. What did you tell me? Tell me all about it. Oh my god! Well, I don't think we need All to right. give them more airtime, but <laughs> All right. um, it was good. I mean, it was good. We enjoyed it. We had a great time. It's hard just because I feel like no Dime Square sort of ruined my life. I told that <laughs> guest to this because um, blurry present. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. The haze, uh, the the and the strip. No, because you know, it's sort of a play that as you're watching it, you're also in it. You know, you're participating in it, hmm. and then I got it in my mind that. Yeah, essentially, I said everyone's become an actor. I thought, like, I'll kind of become, I like live this out. I'll, I'll act it out. I don't know if I was acting or living or sort of Hamlet confusion. But last night I saw Gazd and he said, Drew, like, how are you still alive? Because I, then again, I've been, I've been seeing him every night. And I said, it's all your fault. Like, I had to live out your play and ever since I watched it. Hmm. So, but today's as a, what? I mean, you're living out his play. 
Well, you know, his plays all these these people that just sit around and well, I wish they I don't know if they speak in aphorisms, but they comment on themselves while, you know, entering sort of various altered states. So I thought, okay, I'll just do that. And um You're so impressionable. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> I'm I'm so Does this happen with every play you see? Yeah. Yeah, I said well, I was saying this before we I think t- started talking to you that I realized that although I thought I read for like style and, and, and stuff like that, I've, I think I made a mistake. I actually read as like books as life manuals, you know, right, like right. I read poor, I read poor and was complaint and thought like, I want to, that's what I want to do. You know, that's how to be, how should a person be? Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book, all books with that question. How should and that's I why, that's actually why you started masturbating. You'd never even heard of jerking off before you read oh, yeah. noise complaint. And you said, yeah. hmm, maybe this is something I should try. Yeah, and then go to Israel be... when I'm 30 years old and get food poisoning. Oh, yeah. the less said, the better about that. Yeah. How should a person be? A person should be a masturbator. So I go to Dime Square. People are doing, you know, various <laughs> drugs and analyzing themselves. And I, you know, yeah, that's how that's how I'll be for a few weeks. Yeah, I feel mm. like that about like when I watched Woody Allen movies when I was a kid, like, oh, that's how that's how they'd be right i was talking about i was talking about woody allen films last night we were saying the same thing that a friend and i that we wanted to be like woody allen yeah well i thought that's just what all adult life was right of course and And it is yeah and it it is (laughs) (laughs) well also it's like the power of like fan like you can just make your live everyday kind of fantasy life if you try hard enough you know that's (laughs) Did you guys read you Gideon critique of his films in the New York Review of Books that back in the 70s she wrote? Yes. This? Yes. Yeah. And Incredible. She's, <laughs> yeah. And she says, life is not like this. Adulthood is not like this. These are not the conversations people have. These are not the things that we're concerned with. And it was amazing that she, it's a, such a weird piece to read because until I read that piece, I had thought that those movies were a kind of realism. I didn't realize that this was his fantasy of life and, and then she argues that it's not even a good fantasy that it's a completely yeah. fantasy did you like yeah. that Lauren? oh i love i mean i love a real brutal takedown um yeah, yeah so i enjoyed it a lot i don't i'm not also not particularly fond of woody allen um i also like especially i think annie hall and manhattan are wildly overrated i do like like broadway danny rose i like that oh shit broadway danny rose my favorite. yeah i like That's that but like the actual like dime square proto dime square ones of just people sitting around talking about themselves and doing coke um <laughs> For woody Hans not a big fan what bananas what about bananas oh i love, fucking love bananas i was addicted to that movie as a kid my mom showed yeah. that to me bananas holds up i'm gonna i'll probably rewatch that tonight and in, in, <laughs> in your honor but I, I, I bananas rocks that's a great yeah i feel like I, you could be like 12 when you're introduced to woody allen like exactly not, that's what i was yeah yeah same. that's the thing i again how should a person be? I watch bananas. That's how I'm gonna be. Yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be bananas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's? But I also really, I actually, I have a weird affinity for some of his late films as well, or the '90s. Like, have you seen Mighty Aphrodite? I don't sure. know, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't. There's a lot of like half. I don't know. They're like shoddy, but they like they have the scrappiness of like late work that just like has to be made. There's not like precision and fineness and i i like that a lot making a movie a year how can you be precise and fine 
No, you can't, but it has that scrappiness and the sort of like yeah, yeah, exactly. That's rushed, like urgent shoddiness that I find I love. Like, all, is he still making that. a movie a year? I think so. He's well, how did you never hear about them though? First saw a Woody Allen movie. What was your first? What? How old were you? I was. I remember it was a snow day. Actually, this is. I'm pretty sure I was in theater. I was. It was school break, and I was put in a theater camp. I was put in a theater camp. <laughs> Very suggestive phrasing there. Back when I was a. I was a put gay, in a certain type of camp. <laughs> in my gay thespian phase as a 11 year old boy, maybe 10 even, and um, maybe even I was. I can't remember. If it was a snow day, or I, I was sick, and my brother was also sick. But if we were both sick, that might mean it was a snow day. I think we had strep throat and it was snowing. And they put you in a theater camp when you had strep throat and it was snowing. Yeah, they put me in a camp. All right. Which I liked a lot. Anyway, um, and my mother stationed us on her bed. And got banana. We got rented bananas for us. And I remember the at one point Woody's talking to somebody love interest i guess and he says um he went to the vatican and in, in in copenhagen like he doesn't and he makes a mistake and says they got they had to open a new one it was so popular <laughs> i i just thought that was like the best joke ever did you know about vatican two at that age i'm not sure i get i don't probably not i don't know it was still funny maybe i did <laughs> um but yeah, it was a d- and then I think we rewatched it like three times that very day. And Sleepers, that's also a really Yeah, I think I also watched Sleepers when I was close. So yeah, it was like 11, the snow day. Maybe they even watched it the same day. My mother just gave us a a crash yeah, course. Fun. Yeah. You know. And then later on got to Manhattan and the like. Hmm. What about you, LT? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also, yeah, I also have a Jewish mom who was like, this is the culture. And so she showed me Broadway Danny Rose. Um, my Latin teacher told me to watch that one. Yeah. I don't know and about bananas. Is- I saw the one with a robot. What's the one with a robot? Uh, sleeper. Sleeper, yeah. Oh, that's Sleeper. Yeah, so I saw that one. Um, but yeah, I remember, yeah, and my mom, I think maybe she showed me Annie Hall. But I think Annie Hall was really important to her in like the early 70s. Um, being like a young woman around that time. It was like, I think it was just like blue people's minds, like Diane Keaton wearing pants and a vest. Like that was just really good. The structure of that movie was kind of amazing. The structure? Yeah. Um, In what sense? Well, all those strange things put together, like the cartoon Mm -hmm. um, of the, remember when there's the cartoon part, they go into a cartoon and then, um, when he's a little boy and there's just like so much collaged together right yeah it's a lot of vignettes yeah yeah and my mom references the lobster scene all the time that's a great scene that's a yeah classic. and it's a good allegory for anything that's like not the same anymore right you try to do it again with somebody right. else and it just doesn't yeah all flat consider the lobster yeah that's where david foster wallace got the inspiration actually. <laughs> Yeah. It's all it's all coming together. I'm thinking now that maybe we're gonna have to do a Woody up. No, maybe. But my dad okay. actually he saw Woody Allen perform uh in Greenwich Village in like 1960, which is so weird to think about because they would spend summers in Connecticut. They had a family friend there, and like 
they just went down to Greenwich Village one night to like catch Woody Allen perform in the city. And that's so weird to think of like kids going to see that. But yeah. my dad said it was an amazing performance. My dad wanted to name me Woody Allen. What? <laughs> yeah, he was serious about it because he so admired him. That name would not have aged well. Perhaps not, yeah. Woody Allen Hetty. Woody Allen Hetty. And then I met Diane Keaton years later. She had an exhibit and I went to it and I told her that my dad wants to name me Woody Allen and she signed the invitation to the photography exhibit to my dad and said, Sheila is a better name. And then he had that on his mind <laughs> for oh, I bet he loved that. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Sheila, I also, I agree with, with Diane Keaton's appraisal. It is a better name. Woody um, Hetty. Woody Hetty, not so good. Not so good. Yeah, you think so? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I couldn't have. I like to think I could have. I think you could. Yeah. You may be a slightly different person, but. My brother became a stand-up comic, I think, because of listening to early Woody Allen records. Really? So you're all sort of performers. What's your brother's name? David Hetty. Okay. So your dad kind of mellowed out with the names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that was on the table yeah anymore after the initial rejection yeah well you're woody heady to me (laughs) we're gonna put that in the episode title featuring woody (laughs) everyone's gonna be like who the fuck is that your color by woody heady i mean woody who i mean i guess woody harrelson is the only other contemporary woody in entertainment there might be yeah, and he rare. kind of pulls it off too because I never think of him as being like ripping off Woody Allen. I'm like, oh, he's a completely different. Woody guy. Woodpecker. Woody Woodpecker. Yeah. Woody Woodpecker. I think there must be some musician named Woody. Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. Oh that's shit. Yeah. They're all distinct though. They're all distinct. What yeah, is it short for? It's all Woody's. Yeah. They're all very distinct. I don't think it's short for anything. Really? It's, like, it's just a name? I think it's Woodward. Oh. You know, so. Jews aren't named Woodward, though. No, so Woody could just be. Where does it come yeah. from? Where the fuck does it come from? If he, anyone knows, write in. Woody Allen must have named himself Woody after a previous Woody. You think so? Yes. After kind of a Feldman situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I, I have that name somewhere in my head, but it, I don't know who it would have been. Woody. You. I was thinking about the name Sheila the other day, actually, because we were going to interview you. And I remembered I have a Chinese friend who, uh, Chinese people often choose their English name. And she chose the name Sheila because she saw in the dictionary that it was Australian slang for a beautiful woman. She's like, I'm a beautiful woman. Not beautiful woman, just attractive female. woman. Really? No, just any that. woman? I think so. I think just girl. Really? Oh, I thought it was like, uh, oh, that's the real Sheila, you know? I thought that just meant that. I didn't know that I was a beautiful woman. I thought it was just a woman. Maybe. Well, in any case, then she just named herself <laughs> after being a woman in Australia. I, li- I like but... the, I like the <laughs> naming yourself after. Is she beautiful or because she's not beautiful? I think she's attractive. She's in, she's always been confident in her looks, you know, so. Because either of those people could choose the name. Yeah, could be asked right. Yeah, a mask right. <laughs> or an actual yeah direct label. Right. Yeah, I wonder. It must be fraught as an Australian parent to name your child Sheila. 
maybe they don't so much yeah so you just avoid it like what was it like well when you were in australia with james wood and Nausgaard and your mom the pathologist what was it no like? one mentioned my name no was, one mentioned it i don't not that i can recall there wasn't like an australian interview who's like we have a, a sheila today a real sheila i feel like a real sheila that's the phrase yeah i have that in my head we do have listeners in australia so please do write in and let us know (laughs) right your thoughts people write in when you request um they do sometimes sometimes they they do email me yeah and i actually received a good email the other day you did or did both of us or it was just you no it was personal just to me i get pissed when people email just you it was from a dude though so it doesn't count Uh uh-huh yeah it was, just a, it was just a book recommendation. Uh, he just thought you'd. I, yeah, it's odd. I don't know. He's, he also said that we're becoming increasingly imminent, like with an I don't know, increasingly like embodied or something. He's like, your jokes imminent? are. Yeah, imminent? Yeah, imminent. Imminent or imminent? Term. Imminent, like an A, like the theological word. I don't know. Imminent? I thought there's an A or an E. There's an yeah. I or an E, but there's. Oh, a- there's an E. There's an E. The E, like. Like not the uh like Eminent. not something that's about to happen, but rather something that's like embodied as opposed Eminent. to transcendent. Right. Um was that like a fancy way of saying the show's going to shit? <laughs> <laughs> right in if it was, let us know. No, he actually meant that it was like building on itself and making like more layered. Oh, oh, okay. I have to look up this word now because now I feel do you guys really... edit these or do you just play them? Um more of a we Rachel Cuss Canalsgard situation, I would say. All right. about the performance performance. we're getting better now you know there's less right slack yeah (laughs) yeah we um people people want the chaff they want them they want the mess the you know the anarchic yeah and it's like no like we'll have episodes that are like two and a half hours and people will just listen to it really yeah because they like have to wash dishes you know i have to wash that's yeah. what podcasts are for. That's what podcasts are for. That's right. Um, That's why I don't listen to podcasts because I don't wash dishes. <laughs> that is true. You do not wash dishes. To Mason's <laughs> eternal chagrin. <laughs> yeah. Mason is his life partner. Just right kidding. Back. He's his roommate. Um, somebody but has to wash the dishes. Somebody has to wash the dishes. The person who likes podcasts that ends up washing the dishes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, I have a question uh, completely different is about um, like clothes. Like what have, because I know you, you organize this anthology that actually I just started reading because my employer is a big fan of yours and she lent me that book. She had it, Women in Clothes. So I was wondering like what kind of clothes have you been wearing recently? I, nothing special. Nothing special? No. I'm um, not a, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a well, you seem know. to be wearing a plaid shirt right now mm-hmm. or a, rather a checked shirt yeah mm-hmm. I just put oh. it on well I had something else on but then I had to come home because Margot's studio wasn't open so yeah I had to put this on I was wearing a blue sweater before oh this is Margot of how should a person be yeah nice. she's my only Margot I guess there's not too many Margots no I was always confused about the spelling of her name because it makes it sound like she's a plural you know, like the French oh, plural is French. Yeah, I think her mother yeah. just liked it. It was fancier. Margot yeah. did not look like maggot. 
Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. It's one letter off from maggot. Yeah. Um, that's maggot. cool. I was wondering, do you have any thoughts on the clothing brand Reformation? No. Okay. <laughs> I can't wore a dress room there for my How Should a Person Be launch in New York in 2012. Okay. short mint green dress. Love it. Okay. There, so you do have some association with Reformation. I do. I, I just remembered. I went into the store the day before and bought the dress. Nice. What that's a-, a good, that's a good like store to buy like a, a dress for a launch from. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people have strong feelings about Reformation. So I always like to bring it up. Huh. I don't have a yeah. strong feeling except I like that dress and I'm grateful they sold yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. To me. Um, how about Aritzia? I know that's a Canadian brand and I'm wearing their fleece right now. You are? Yeah. This purple no strong, fleece. No strong feelings about that. Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> it was worth asking. What about green? You seem to, there's a, the book co- title covers green. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> green. Why is it green? What's going on with green? Why is everything going green? On the cover of the book? Yeah. <laughs> But that's an Ellsworth Kelly painting, so I didn't, I didn't say like, let's get some green. Oh, I thought you were into green. No. <laughs> so green is not itself the motivation. I like navy. navy. Oh, okay, all right. Your shirt's navy, Drew. It is, yeah. And Lauren, uh, that's nice purple. You and I are sort of wearing purple. We are. We're wearing kind of wine. Yeah, wine. That's right. Wine. Yeah, that wine is. burgundy, something like that. Bordeaux. Oh, I should take a little. Now that I think about it, I'm going to take a little screenshot so everyone can see what we're wearing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you like? Are you one of those people who's like you absolutely cannot pair navy with black? I don't. I probably I probably feel a little t- a little hesitant when I do, but I'll do it. Yeah, you will I think that's that. the brave. I think that's the brave stance. <laughs> sometimes it has to be done yeah i mean just mix I don't know. it hmm? yeah I don't, I don't understand i've never understood that rule maybe they look maybe it looks like you tried to do the same color but you you didn't oh know you failed maybe. i don't know i'm not sure what that, that that's my reading too is they're just a little too close yeah it's like you got dressed yeah. in the dark and you thought you were putting on two black things but one was navy i'm not mm-hmm. sure why that's a taboo <laughs> if it is another thing to investigate it's another age <laughs> old we don't know yeah. yeah that could be your kindle single yeah <laughs> Black uh, yeah maybe that's what i'll write about you know um, about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah this is a really intellectual podcast um very smart podcast <laughs> Um, we're, at the hi- we're at the height of our powers. We're at the height of. <laughs> we're eminent. We're imminent, or whatever. We're something. Um, how's the- how's Canada? Like, how's the weather? Because weather here is very depressing. <laughs> very depressing. And I was thinking it must be worse in Canada. I think it's five degrees today, which I don't know what that is in American. Oh, I never know Fahrenheit. Like in the forties, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Overcast. No snow yeah. at the moment. It's really gloomy in New York. Yeah, it's mm. gloomy here too. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not even saying this is a joke, but like, do you, I feel like in your books, there is like a little strain about like American chauvinism. Uh, 
do you, I mean, do you feel being in the Canadianness of your writing sometimes? Are you like, I'm writing against the Americans or is there a Canadian canon you're responding to? I don't think so. I mean, it's hard not to feel that way as a Canadian about America, but I think, yeah. I think most sensible Americans feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. You considered moving to New York at some point, right? I mean, I always wanted to, and then I realized, like, I mean, I actually just never afford it. It's so expensive. And yeah, I always but... had, like, people here that I wanted to be close to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's terrible. You guys moved to New York, so you... Yeah. You moved here to suffer. You did the right, you did the right thing. Did by we? Your, by your... There remains an open question. Well, why did you move to New York? Actually, I never really intended to be in New York. I just happened to get a job here. It was the only job I got. But that's a reasonable. But then, of course, now it seems inevitable and sort of like the only place I ever could have ended up in. You know, it's another tying the chicken legs thing, I think. It's just like everyone's like, if you're a young writer, you have to be in New York. I know, but it doesn't make any sense because it's just so expensive. So how, and you spend all your time writing. so expensive. Obstacles. Yeah. It's, um, you should keep your expenses low if you're a writer. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's, that's it. That doesn't. That's the, that's the way you got to keep your expenses low. Well, well, sure. So you have time to write your books. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's like, um. Possible short of moving in with your parents. Well, I've done that before too. Yeah. Yeah. Moving in with the rents. Moving in with the rents. I don't think that's viable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the rationale for it is often like New York is where all the other writers are. Well, why do you want to be where all the other writers are? No, that is a terror. To have friends. But then you just end up partying all the time like Drew. Yeah, then you end up just not writing with all the so-called writers. Yeah. That's just yeah. Like a good idea to me. It is the paradox. It's one of um, those paradoxes. It's one of and those paradoxes. The same environment and the same experience. You know, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it makes sense anymore. It made sense before the internet, and then maybe if you want to be in conversation right. with other writers, you have to go to New York. But now you don't have to. So why would yeah. you spend all that? I don't know. It's, a, it's a very fair question. But people do it. People you know? do it. Like, I don't regret it. I like being here, to be honest, even though I'm really broke all the time. Speaking of which, buy our mug, our struggle dot store. Um, <laughs> Why is the mug the us? solution to fundraising? Because uh, it's the only income we generate. It's the only <laughs> income we make. How did you settle on a mug out of all the different things? Well, this is cool. the teen pregnancy aspect of it. It was a huge mistake. I should not have. Of all the merch, it was like the worst one to choose. But now I'm stuck Everyone with has it. a mug already. Everyone, well, okay. In my defense, people can have more than one coffee mug. You don't think so? I mean, I think everyone has more than one coffee mug. Well, yeah. So, what's the problem? You know, you just got another one. I guess. So. <laughs> Is it working? But, uh, it's you know, I've sold maybe fifty or sixty at this point. No, more than that. Um, but so yeah, I saw. Your, what's your take on every mug? Like, what's the net? Um. I actually, so they're $20 and they cost like seven bucks to produce a piece. How much to ship? 
um, the customer has to pay for shipping, which is, oh. yeah, the problem because uh, it costs a lot to ship a mug, it turns out, which is something I should have realized before <laughs> I ordered them. Um, so it's prohibitively expensive to ship to anywhere outside of America. It's like more, it's like $25 if you're shipping to the UK. So I've only sold like two to the UK. Um, and I can see on my website, like all the abandoned checkouts of people in like Australia and New Zealand and Germany oh, wow. are like, I want a mug, but oh, it turns out the shipping is $30. Yeah. Um, so yeah, glad we have a chance to discuss small business logistics on this, but um, it's, yeah, it's, it was $12 a, big... a mug. So every time somebody buys a mug, you get about 10, 10, $11. Yeah. Around that. Yeah. But it's also, then there's like the cost of my time. Is this like a huge fucking pain in the ass to package them? And oh, you have to, to package them? Yeah. I fulfill it from my house and I write a note, by the way, to every single person who buys a mug. So it's, you know, it's not really a good money-making venture at all. It's basically as you're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's as Dean Kissick, friend of the show, has said to me the other day, he said, these mugs have become like an albatross around your neck. (laughs) And he's absolutely right. Um, The t-shirts were better because they are not, they're much easier to ship. Like you just put them in like a mailer and you can put them in any uh, mailbox. You don't have to fucking go to the post office where the post office ladies right. get mad at you. And right. you also don't have to have bubble wrap. And like some of our mugs have broken in shipment. <laughs> it's like it's like hilariously. Uh, it's hilariously. Fun. I don't even know about any of this. Is all news to me. I've been. You'll, now, been you know. now, you I've know, now, you know, I've been involved <laughs> in the mug. Have you tried selling them down the street, like lemon, lemonade stand style? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put up um, a little table in the chair. And well, kind of. We did, sign. We walked around hawking them at a bar. Oh, that's true. Was. I did bring them. I have brought them on several occasions to various literary parties, and I have sold a few on the sly that way. That seems um, better. You can just like pull out twenty dollars and then it's done. Yeah, or they can like Venmo me or whatever. But yeah. then like it's often someone I'm friends with, and so then I'm like give them a discount, which is stupid. Um, so yeah, I was like hopefully at our live show, which is definitely happening. We don't know where or when, but look out for it. Um, hopefully I can sell some mugs there. <laughs> but yeah, I do wonder like sometimes like if I just set up in like Prospect Park with my mugs, like would I sell more that way? Maybe. I don't know, Sheila. That's a good yeah, suggestion. Should try once the I should try. Yeah. Was this nice outside? Seventies, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I might make oh, myself like a, a pure color mug. Do you, do you have merch for pure color? There's some tote bags in Canada, but I didn't. They don't really look like the cover. They mm. have green on them, but I'm not really a fan of the making tote bags. Really? Yeah, Why not? Far too many. I don't know. I just. It just doesn't seem necessary. So you were yeah. you were not fond of the Sally Rooney merch when that came out. I, I no one sent me any. Yeah, they should have. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually not fond of it. I felt that she might not have been fond of it. That was my guess. That she, oh, that interesting. Might not have been something that she would have. Yeah. Been so keen on, but but whatever. I think that it worked. Yeah. Okay. Have you have you ever written on Rooney? I I don't know. No, she reviewed Motherhood. Um, okay. For the LRB, but I've never written about her books. But I would I would write well about them. I blurbed. You would, yeah. I wrote. I mean, I would write positively about them. I blurbed 
normal people, which is my favorite of the three. Interesting. Yeah. I think actually, okay, I haven't read any of them except conversations. Yeah, what are you talking friends. about, Lauren? You know, <laughs> you don't know about this shit. I did. I no, liked conversations yeah, with friends. We can't talk about this. Show? Did you watch the normal people show? No, I didn't see it. That was really good too. That was like the best adaptation yeah. I've ever seen of a book. Of any of any book? Yeah. Best of adaptation book. of any book. Like yeah, including like the know. BBC adaptations of like uh Bleak House. I think so, because it was so close, it just felt like, I mean, I guess she wrote it, so oh, okay. it just felt not wrong. Mm. I see. So you're pro-Rooney, because I feel like a lot of writers yeah. are anti-Rooney yeah. these days. Well, like you say, people are jealous. and People, yeah. You think it's just being people being haters? and I don't think it's just haters being and losers. Haters, I, yeah. I think some people are haters, and some people probably don't like the books, but I think that there can also be, don't you think? somebody so successful that people oh for sure yeah i mean it's the same thing as people getting mad about canals guard yeah exactly yeah but no one yeah yeah no one's done a podcast on, about all about sally rooney so they should like her a little more than they like canals guard that's true that's true we should have her on the show to talk about canals guard just not yeah. even mention her books at all Good luck. oh that that might be <laughs> yeah just not even call attention to the fact she's written a bunch of books just be like so we have this lady sally on just be like, we need a woman. We don't have a lot. <laughs> we asked this random we big heard Sally on because we need a woman. So. We really we do. Google woman writer and your name was the first to come up. That's, that, that's, how, female writer. that's how I found you, Shia. Yeah. Huh? That's, that's how yeah. we found you. I, mean, I, I had never I, even heard of you before. I was a Canadian writer and said, Margaret Atwood. I was, yeah. She said no. Alice yeah. Monroe. She said no. Ooh, Alice Monroe. I would love to have a geriatric Alice Monroe on the show. She's lovely. I wrote her like a fan letter in my early 20s. And oh, she really? Wrote me back on the oh, card. Yeah. That is so sweet. Yeah. She seems like yeah. a nice lady. All a person has to do is thank you for their fan letter on no card, and then you just love them forever. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would love her for any, forever anyway, but that yeah. really, that's a nice. Thing. Yeah, there is a nice pantheon of the. Canadian woman. Mm-hmm. Did either Alice or Margaret Hammond. have children? Margaret Atwood has a daughter, and um, and Alice Monroe does have children. She has a daughter that wrote, I think, a book about being Alice Monroe's daughter. Oh shit! She, she might have more than one child. I'm not sure, but yeah. not Margaret Atwood just has the one. Jess Atwood. Maybe I'll keep googling to find, keep searching for more Canadian woman writers. Miriam Taves. I don't know. I don't. Well, they're also, these are all new names to me. So <laughs> these are all new names to you. You never heard of Alice Monroe. I, I mean, who won the Nobel Prize a few years ago? Alice, you know, of course I've read Alice Monroe. I'm joking. <laughs> Christian is not wrote that really nasty thing about, or not nasty. Oh yeah, he wrote that. a takedown of Alice Monroe. The rare, the rare Alice Monroe takedown. Did yeah, he really? No, Christian I doesn't like that. Alice Monroe. No. Is it just because she's too much of a square? I think he, I don't know. I haven't, I have to uh, read the piece. It's because she doesn't live in New York. He's like, what's this lady yeah. doing writing about provincial provinces? <laughs> if only he had dragged her out of the provinces. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to plug we're gonna... Alice Monroe from the provinces. <laughs> uh, yeah. We should, yeah. History of literature. That's what she needs now at this stage at 90 or whatever. <laughs> Time for you to move to New York. Alice. Come to Dime Square, Alice Monroe. <laughs> uh, 
probably just sensitively observed piece about emotional drama in New York City. Oh, she's a brilliant writer. She she's not me. she's not fashionable or edgy though, that's for sure. So. No, I, I dig Alice Munro. Not everyone can be. You know? you know, learn learn a lot. You can always learn a lot from her. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you learn a, I learn a lot from Canadian women at large, it seems, and some of the writers too. Yeah. Now that I know about them. <laughs> Drew actually recommended How Should a Person Be to me when we were in college. Oh, really? I, remember. I, yeah, I yeah. passed it around the whole house. I gave it to yeah, John, yeah. I gave it to you out of copy. Yeah. So New so, York, just to mention that at the very end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have undermined you, Drew, by letting <laughs> Sheila know you actually know about Yeah, no, the power has shifted. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. Yeah, you killed my whole stick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sheila, I always love, I love that part about the hair salon and how should a person be. I think about that all the time. Thanks. I don't know why that's what sticks with me, but I actually, I know why. It's because my uh, four-year-old who I babysit, he has been cutting my hair, quote unquote, um, every day for the past week. And it's remarkably intimate, the experience of cutting another's hair. Um, he doesn't actually cut it to be... Clear. Hmm? There's this artist, Darren O'Donnell, who used to do theater in Toronto and he got tired of doing plays and he started doing like theater in the world, like experiences. And he had this project called Haircuts by Children and he got actual <gasps> children and taught them, well, got hairstylists to teach them how to cut hair. And you would yeah. go to the hair salon and real children would cut your hair. Wow. The argument is that children should be more part of civic life. I mean, that's the sort of underlying theory behind some of that that work. is fascinating darren o'donnell yeah, yeah. that was real haircuts yeah because what stellan does is he just like uses the spray bottle to spray my hair a bunch and then he combs it and then he like uses a bunch of kitchen implements to like mess up my hair like tongs and wine a bottle opener that he never like gets tired of nice. it that feels that that would be like a nice sensation on your head um the wine bottle opener yes the tongs no it really pulls <laughs> my hair <laughs> um but that's really, because that, that is something I think about. And I think that's something children are deprived of. Like, I know child labor was bad, but also like children, they really like to do things that are functional. They really, I think they feel really disempowered now by like this life where it's only like play with blocks and like mom and dad tells you what to do. But he loves doing anything functional, like hair, like playing haircuts, like cooking. He loves washing dishes. He loves it when like he's made like a contribution or like yeah. even like helping me put something in the mailbox. Um, yeah pushing the button on the elevator yes pushing the button on the elevator pushing the button at the crosswalk um yeah. so I I think that's a great project by Darren mm -hmm. yeah I mean like there's got to be something in between this current like uh, overly infantilized childhood and like you know Victorian child labor yeah you know, there's got to be something in between it yeah there must be there must be there must be I'd like question. to find a child to cut my hair yeah how do you do that? Hit up Darren. You have to be a babysitter, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. If you want to, you can come down to Brooklyn and I can ask my kid to just run their fingers. Give you a haircut. Yeah. I like how yeah. you call him your kid. I know. I never know how to re re like refer to him. Like, do I say my charge? <laughs> my ward? I don't know. My ward. My I like ward. that. Yeah, it's more Victorian at the very least. Um, but yeah, I often find myself referring to him 
that way and people are like do you have children i'm like no i just watch them for money Uh, but but the opposite of having children the opposite of having children (laughs) i mean what i am is a subcontractor mom that's what babysitting is um you do a much worse job of being a mom for money which is a subcontractor Mm. but that's kind of how i think of my career my job but yeah, and then I thought about maybe I'll subcontract the babysitting again, sub subcontract to his older brother and take a cut from that. Mm-hmm. I won't actually do that. Oh my god, hopefully my employer's not listening. But um, you know. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, haircutting, but yeah. Do you ever do any hair stuff to this day? No, no, I don't. These days do you dabble? No, no longer. Yeah. Dabble away. Damn. How do these things end? You just talk for hours and hours. Does <laughs> 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 somebody I say I have something to do? Yeah, that's usually yeah. what happens. Yeah, because we'll just yeah. stay here for hours. <laughs> we go into a delirium set soon. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but actually, yeah. I, have, I have somewhere to be, so. Where? Oh, you have somewhere to be? No, you uh, don't. No, actually, I don't. But <laughs> I right. hope I don't. You suddenly, you suddenly had all the status. Yeah. Me. Oh, he's got I mean, I, That I is might. an amazing power move, though. Is yeah, saying you've got somewhere to be. Oh, yeah. It also makes the your interlocutor feel terrible. Like, every time I'm hanging out with someone, they're like, yeah, I have somewhere to go now. <laughs> like, I feel like, oh, I should kill myself. Like, that's, it's a terrible feeling but also a legitimate thing to say in, if you do in backed up somewhere to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can, we can release you. I feel like we got through a lot of topics. Uh, yeah, we got a good range. Small here. and large. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there like, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> what else did we talk about? Haircuts. Um, Canals Garden, James Wood. Everything, everything. Yeah, everything that I. That's interesting. Well, Popular. I didn't think we were talk about any of these things, but. <laughs> well, that's the art struggle experience. I said we're gonna surprise and bewilder. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. It is. Yeah. Thank you, Wildering. <laughs> good. But you know, it also it, it feels good. I think I think you. Yeah. Ult- an ultimately pleasurable experience. Here's parties. the thing, Sheila. I'm sure you've done lots of straightforward interviews with really smart questions about your book, yeah. but how many have you done of people <laughs> just rambling? Just, just rambling. <laughs> Not so. Many. This may be the first one. Yeah. You know, we're unique in the literary discourse. Mm-hmm. We're unique by not entirely. taking part in it. We're avoiding it entirely. Yeah. No discourse on this show. I love it. No one says. Well, you did bring up Sally Sally Rooney, which is sort of verboten. I was a little unhappy about that, Lauren. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. We can edit it out. No, keep. keep <laughs> it's all. It's all going in. Everything stays. I think in honestly, there. I think it's Sheila. I think it's really bold to be pro Rooney because many people, it's kind of the fashionable opinion now to be like, oh, she sucks. Like her books are terrible. Um, but She's I think you're writer. you're brave and honorable. She's a very good writer. Yeah. I I used to have opinions, but I'm just neutral about everything now. You used to what? I used to have opinions 
but now I'm just neutral as a rule, just totally neutral. That's that's that seems very it's on the edge of uh, <laughs> <laughs> not having an opinion. That's I think that's no, just, yeah. That's what you're supposed to, right? Everyone has to yeah. have an opinion on everything. Yeah. So I just remain I just remain blank. I think that's good. I mean, having an opinion is so fucking exhausting. I, I liked Andy Warhol just loving everything. Like, I think it, if you read the Andy <laughs> Warhol interviews, if they ask him what he thinks, <laughs> love it. Right. That's not the words he uses, but yeah. everything's great for him. I think that's a nice way to be. <laughs> really? That's his official stance? Everything is good? I don't think he's ever, I don't remember in any of the interviews him ever saying something's not good or not, you know, like everything was. Everything yeah. is everything is great. Yeah. Pure color. It's fucking great. Everything's great. Everything's great. <laughs> that reminds me. Yeah, I remember. I'll never forget this one time when I was like a teen. I was working at this art camp over the summer, and one of the teachers was like, I'm sure much younger than I was, probably like this 22 year old art teacher who had gone to Kennedy High School, which is near where I went to high school. And she was just like kind of a free spirit, and she would like drink matcha. What is that called? Mate. Matcha. Yeah. Mate. Matcha. No, not mate. mate. Yeah, yeah, mate. mate. Yeah. It's like this yeah. weird, it's like the South American drink. Yeah, you sort of have this metal straw. Yes, yes. Yeah. Heather, Heather would drink mate with a metal straw and it was all very, like, I was always like, wow, Heather's such a free spirit with her mate. And I remember once I was like, Heather, what was it like going to Kennedy High School? And she was like, it was great. You know, I just love life. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody you, said that to me. I remember that. I still remember that she's like my answer to how I like that school. I just love life, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Life's actually it's pretty great. Life, yeah. Everything is great. That's maybe that's our episode title. Everything's great. Everything is great. Everything is great, even. But people will think along. we're saying that ironically when we're not. You know. There's no, we don't do. We're not in the business. No of irony. irony. No, 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 no. No, I don't no. do that. That's a bad habit. That's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can see it. You can see it in someone's face. Yeah, yeah. And your face will stay that way. The it does. It will curdle you. Yeah. I'm yeah. worried that my nose is getting bigger these days. Something's changing. It that that happens. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's happening. What's going on? Is it like some latent? Noses and ears continue to grow, I think. What? I think so. Well, Fuck. that's why older people tend to have bigger noses than they had when they were younger, and ears do. Isn't no, it? It's not just the rest of them is shrinking. Maybe like it's relative because I actually, I would believe that because something Drew and I have talked about on the show before is when I was 10 years old, I was, I had a very beautiful angelic face. I was very hot when I was 10 and, but this, and, but then my nose grew in and I became much more exotic looking. Um, so this would explain a lot. Well, I don't know why it's happening to me now at the age of 30. Yeah. My the schnozzes are, are just going to keep getting start to go downhill. Down? Yeah. It's not getting better? Well, depends. <laughs> Everything's great. Everything's great. <laughs> but actually, my foreskin is, 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 is also returning. Yeah. On its own, of its own accord. You keep saying that. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I'm just trying to cultivate an air of mystery. <laughs> You already said you think you're going to try to describe my scrotum. That's true. I am. As an exercise, at, right after we end this call, I'm going to try to describe your scrotum. Just uh, through vibes only. Uh, scrotal vibes? 
scrotal vibes um but like honestly sheila i will say like radio for a second sounded like radio like jock radio oh shock we are the shock docs of the literary world (laughs) yeah we are (laughs) i mean yeah i'm always saying this (laughs) once upon a time i dreamt of being a writer and now it's a shock talk Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's why i wouldn't be here otherwise do they have shock docs in canada i'm sorry that's probably an ignorant question I don't know. I don't listen to the radio that much, but probably. But maybe they're yeah. not. That's sh- shocking. <laughs> this is the classic Canadian stereotype, like shock jocks, but mild. <laughs> mild jocks. Yeah. I think, I think it's time for me to... Now I'm hearing the sounds from the rest of the house. Yeah, okay. Room at any minute. Well, say hi to Feldman for us, and Feldman the second. Um, Having me on your show. Oh my god, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to for, us. <laughs> thanks for subjecting yourself to that. You. I was like, should I? <laughs> and now you're definitely re- and now you're full of regret. I should However, not. <laughs> I'm not gonna email and say don't like Dyer wrote you. Oh yeah, that. don't don't and then did you end up putting that. his up or not? No, no, it never. Remains, it's it's in the vaults. Wow. It's in the vault. And we actually Only- do get people from time to time emailing us being like I need to see the episode. I'll pay you to send me the oh, file. Wow. And we wow. refuse to. Wow. But why did you to. listen to his request to not do it? Um, nice worry about legal repercussions, maybe? Right, right. I was actually like his writing a lot. So it was kind of yeah. awkward. It was an awkward bind. Yeah. It was a good episode. It was it's okay. It's okay. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. We got to, is this another area? It is mystery. a good episode. Of our struggle. Uh oh well, the classic. The Sheila Hetty episode definitely. Um, Josh Co- Josh Cohen is is our flagship app. Right. Enough. Because he, because he he got mad at yeah he got, mad, something. he got mad at me. Uh well, I just told him I thought his book was half erect, and <laughs> things kind of went from there. Wow, <laughs> you didn't say that to me. I would not know. Never. I would never say that to you. What is what does it mean if a book is half erect? Oh, I just thought it was like half good and half not. Wow, so, you said that to him. Yeah. Um, Which book? The Netanyahu's, the new book. Netanyahu. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, but no, we like totally reconciled by the end. Everything's good now. And it's like a cult fave episode. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's like the yeah. controversy you want. Yeah, definitely. And now, you know, Dime Square is happening in his apartment. And now Times Square is happening in his apartment. Yeah. So, so everything's coming full circle. Everything's, everything's, everything's coming full circumcision. <laughs> I mean, no, I said everything's great. Everything's great, also. Um, yeah. Hey. Well, I'll try to edit this and like get it out tomorrow, probably because I don't think there's that much. Wow, well, tomorrow. To okay. So yeah, I everything's everything on here is pure gold, baby. Yeah. We're just gonna okay. we're just gonna put it out. Yeah. Great. Um, and the fans are really starving because we haven't put out an episode in a while because of Drew's little shawarma um, poisoning. A shawarma bender? You should promote yeah. my podcast, Podcast with Raisins. I have six. Oh episodes. my God, you have a podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Everyone should oh. listen to Sheila's podcast, Podcast with Raisins. I did talk to someone about it a little while ago and he was like, I love that podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. He was like describing how like you like woke up in the middle of the night and like podcasted. Isn't I was that like, yeah? That have like I love that. 
it, it should be like there should be more podcasts from like weird vulnerable hours like that like Poog is another morning. one like, listen to have you heard that one I've heard that's really good Poog. it's really yeah. good yeah yeah but, uh, I shouldn't promote other podcasts on your podcast um, so that's okay to the end of this one so there's yeah. no them devoted <laughs> to to your podcast um yeah we have a lot of overlap with Poog I think what no Poog. okay it's I mean, about isn't it like about Gwyneth Paltrow no not at all Jack- Jacqueline Novak the comic Jacqueline Novak and Kate mm-hmm. Berlant they just talk they're like two friends and they're very intelligent and funny oh, and sounds like, oh, just like us. Yeah. yeah exactly this is why I brought it yeah. up. <laughs> but it doesn't it has something to do with Gwyneth Paltrow right like- well goo- Ipug is goop backwards but- right yeah in th- I mean, it's like you're you say that you're talking about my struggle, but you're not really. They say they're talking about beauty. There you product, go. They're not really, but it you know to the same degree that you're talking about. So it actually really is like they're mm, like actually it is. The more I think about it, we are okay. Shout out to Poog. Maybe we'll do a crossover with them. Oh my uh, gosh, you um, should all four talk on the same. I don't know if that would work because you probably you two have your dynamic and they have their dynamic. But now I'm no. suddenly the four of you. It would be great. Like to, I want to set you up. Yeah, yeah. If you know them, just let. They don't have like, guests on their show, so you'd have to have them on holler. your show. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll deign to have them on. <laughs> I love is, anybody this on. This is like a much more famous podcast. <laughs> this is like a legit <laughs> podcast. Um, I love the, like talking about famous people and being like, um, you know, maybe this one. Maybe. Yeah. If, maybe you know, that's I feel like it. Yeah. Good for them though. Um. Yeah, Poog, Our Struggle, Podcast with Raisins. Um, we did have some fried rice with raisins at that restaurant on Friday. And you thought they were <laughs> nuts and you were freaking out. I heard actually a bunch of people got food poisoning from that place. No, they didn't. Yeah, they have. Really? Histor- historically, yeah. No, they're so good, though. I like their food. Well, anyway, let's not put the name on the pot. I don't want to yeah. be responsible for any restaurant's downfall um okay sheila thank you it's rock and roll really thank Thank you you. so much this was so fun nice to meet you yeah Yeah. really nice to meet i hope we can meet in person someday i'm sure Um, let me know if you're in toronto oh we'll do oh we're on the we're on the way we're on our way there live show in toronto is it wrong to want to live on your own no it's not wrong but honest no how can someone Sheila, take a Sheila, take a bow. Boot the grime of this world in the posh gear. And don't go home tonight. Come out and find the one that you love and who loves you. The one that you love and who loves you. It's wrong not to always be glad No, it's not wrong